You ever heard anybody sort of misquote the verse and say that money is the root of all evil? Well, that's not what he says. Money is not the root of all evil. There's nothing inherently right or wrong about money, but it's always powerful. And it is a resource that God has entrusted to us. And so what we're going to be doing uh, this morning is talking about some things that will help us to know better so that we can do better. And um, so how many of you know who Warren Buffett is? All right, most everybody knows who Warren Buffett is. If you don't, he is the greatest investor, most successful investor of our lifetime. Uh, you make it even say ever. Uh, he is worth, um, I don't know, in the neighborhood of $70 billion. And once a year, for charity, he auctions off a lunch date with him. And somebody can bid to have lunch with Warren Buffett. And I don't know what the winning bid was in 2019, but typically it's more than $3 million. People are willing to pay $3 million to have lunch with Warren Buffett. You know why? Anybody want to tell me why they want to have lunch with Warren? You know they're going to be picking his brain the entire time they eat, right? And I would too, for $3 million, I'm hoping to come out of there with something that's going to help me recoup that and a lot more. Well, this morning, we get to have breakfast with Solomon, <laughs> okay? We're not having lunch with Warren, but we're going to have breakfast with Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, who was also incredibly wealthy, who also was inspired by God to write what he wrote. And so ultimately, not only is breakfast, breakfast with Solomon better than lunch with Warren, it's not going to cost you $3 million or even $3. Uh, as we, we talk about these principles of managing money, money is, as I said before, it's, it's inherently powerful. And I think that's why that um, the Bible often talks about money. In fact, go back and read some of the parables of Jesus. Parables are just illustrations and multiple times Jesus used an illustration that involved money because that's, that's where we live. We, we have to live in that daily currency. And, and so money is always powerful. And I, but again, I know that, that some people think, well, money has no place in the church because we think it's bad. By the way, I've noticed that there are two topics where we are uncomfortable in the church, two topics we're uncomfortable in the church to talk about publicly. Money and sex. You notice that? Ooh, we we kind of want to, you know, let's back off of that. Money and sex, we don't want to talk about those. By the way, what are two areas of life Christians almost mess up the most? <laughs> you know, are you noticing a correlation here? So these are both biblical subjects. We're not going to deal with one today, but we are going to deal with, with the other. We're going to talk about money because it is a biblical subject. And somebody says, well, this, is, this doesn't belong to church. Well, if you think that's true, I would invite you into the marriage counseling sessions where at the root of the problem or the stress or the arguing is money and the lack of money and the problems that that causes. Uh, a Gallup poll revealed that 64% of all couples argue over money. If you and your spouse argue over money, it's not good uh, and you don't like it, but you're not in the minority, you're in the majority. It's, that's what happens. Uh, in divorces, 54% of the time, money is a cause of that divorce. 
54% of the time. So much so that somebody has said the vows ought to be changed to till debt do us part because of the role that money and debt and the pressure and the stress that that brings about in the relationship. And, and, and so I would say, yes, it belongs because of the effect that it has on our family. I would say, yes, this is also something we need to talk about because God's priorities need resources. How many good things could have been done, but God's own people didn't have the resources to fund them because they didn't manage what they were entrusted with very well. And it left them maybe wanting to, but not being able to. And then I would also say that we do need to talk about this because it, it really is a spiritual matter. It really is. Jesus talked about money, uh, and ultimately, the money we have is a, is a resource from God. And if God gives it to us, how we manage it becomes a spiritual matter. Are you with me? If God gives it to us, what we do with it becomes a spiritual matter. And so I'm happy that you're here today, and I'm uh, thankful to have the opportunity, and I appreciate uh, being invited today. Let's talk about, um, we're going to have our Bibles, and uh, I may not take the time, I'm going to give you the references, may not take the time that you'd be able to flip there, but if you have your Bible, uh, you can go ahead and open to the book of Proverbs. That's where we're going to be this morning as we have uh, breakfast with Solomon. So here we have a, a very wealthy man, a very wise man, an inspired man talking about money. Now, if you're interested in doing better with money, that's kind of all you need to hear. You want to know more about what he has to say. And so let's talk about four principles of managing money from Solomon and the book of, of Proverbs. Number one, if you want to do better with your money or do well with your money, maybe some of you are doing well, but there's always room for improvement. Number one, you need to cultivate the right perspective towards money. You know, perspective is simply how you see things, and, and it, it ultimately is a, a big determining factor in, in the success or failure of anything we do. And so when it comes to money, we need to get the right perspective in mind, um, because our attitude about money will be the single greatest factor in how well we do with our funds, our, our attitude about it. So let's talk about three perspectives that we need to make sure we have right as it relates to money, all right? Number one, we need the right perspective about the priority of money in our life. How important is money to me? Now, there could be those, because you're in church, you're supposed to say, oh, I don't care anything about money, right? Well, I don't believe you. And I also don't think that's a good attitude. It's a resource entrusted from God. It, it, it is important. But just how important is it? Now, we know those, perhaps, that for, for whom it is the most important thing in life. They don't do anything without running it through the, the filter of money. It's all about money, always about money. But, of course, that's a mistake. You, you and I understand that. We know there are things that are more important than money. Now, you didn't expect me to start out a, a mon money seminar saying money's not the most important thing, but it's not. And that's what Solomon says. Even though Solomon had a lot, listen to what he says in Proverbs 8 and verse 10. 
He says, receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. He's saying there's some things that are more important than silver and gold. Also in Proverbs uh, 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding uh, is to be chosen rather than silver. And so Solomon says there are some things that are more important. Now we may be tempted to say, well, yeah, but that's because he had plenty, right? I mean, if he had my bank account, he may not feel the same way. And I, I, I can see where you're coming from. But the reality is, at the end of the day, money is not the most important thing. And we have to make sure that we understand that. Don't get blinded by the silver and the gold. So make sure you have the right perspective about the priority of money in your life. The second perspective to think about is supply. Where does my money come from? Who is the source of what I have? Now, it is very easy to see our employer or the customers, depending on which side of the, perspective, the, the spectrum you're on, as the source of our income, right? I mean, I get a check, and or maybe not get a check anymore, direct deposit, and it comes from this co corporation, and they are my the source of my money. It's easy to think that. But it, as those who are trying to do things better, but also in a more godly way, we need to think a lot better than that, and a lot deeper than that. And in Proverbs chapter 8, and verse 21, Solomon says that God has given these things, quote, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth that I may fill their treasuries. Now there are a lot of uh, passages similar to that. Uh, in James we find that every good and perfect gift comes from God. But perhaps uh, my most, my favorite, uh, did I almost say most favorite? Uh, I don't, surely not. Perhaps my favorite reminder of this is found in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8, 18. <clears throat> the context is uh, Moses is getting the people ready to go into the promised land. They were finally going to go in, and they were going to go from, you know, wandering in the wilderness and not having very much food, and it was always the same food when they had it, and they didn't have water sometimes, to going into the promised land. It was going to be unbelievable. They were going to have a variety of food and plenty of food and water, and not only that, they were going to be able to gain wealth, and they were going to build nice houses. And then he says... But you need to remember the Lord your God. Because when you've done all of this, you need to remember it is he, verse 18, Deuteronomy 8, 18, it is he who gives you the ability to gain wealth. You see, some people say, well, I have what I have because I'm a hard worker. That's good. And hard work is a good quality. But, but how are you able to work? Because you have a body that came from whom? Well, you don't understand. I have what I have because I've made good decisions. I've thought things through and I've made some good choices. That's good. That's good. But now who gave you that brain to make those good choices with? You see what I'm saying? Even when we have done everything that we ought to do, we still owe everything to him. In reality, he is the source of our blessings, including our money and so we need to make sure that we understand correctly the the supply 
of our finances comes from him, even though it may be indirectly. All right, one more uh, perspective to make sure we have right is to understand the permanence, or I should say the lack thereof, of money. I need to see as it is and for what it is the truth about the permanence of these things that we have. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 5 I think it's funny. It, you, know, you ever read some verses and you think, that's kind of funny. Proverbs 23, 5 is one of those. And this is what he says. Now remember, he has a lot of money. And yet by inspiration he says, For riches certainly make themselves wings and fly away like an eagle toward the heavens. You ever thought, where'd my money go? Did it just fly away? Well, even Solomon said the same thing. He's like, I, I, I had it, but now I'm not, I'm not exactly sure where it went. You know why? Because it's never meant to be a permanent arrangement. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 19 and 20, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Anybody remember what Jesus said happens to the treasures on earth? What happened? Moth. Moth, thieves, rust, they take care of it. So yeah, you've got this nice new thing, this big new thing, this thing smells good, looks good, feels good, whatever it is, and that's good, that's fine. You just need to know it's not going to last because it wasn't meant to last. You're not going to get out of this world alive, and you're not going to take your stuff with you. It's just not meant to be that way. And so... If we're going to do better with our money and to know how to do better and, and then to do better, we have to first cultivate the right perspective about money. All right, the second principle that Solomon shares with us is we need to complete a financial plan. You need to have a plan. By the way, if you have a, if you think, you have a, an idea, something you want to do, but it's not actually written down. It's not a plan. It's a dream. It's got to get on paper. Okay? You have to actually... So if you said, I didn't make a New Year's resolution, but this year I'm going to kind of do better about this, this, and this, you won't. You won't. You have to, have to actually have a plan, and studies have shown until you actually put it on paper, it's, not, it's probably not ever going to happen. And so when people um, ask, what's the number one thing I need to do? What I find typically is the biggest problem is people don't have a plan. I've done some financial counseling, and I ask them, okay, can I see your, your budget? Um, well, we don't have one. Oh, okay. Well, um, can you tell me um, how much income you have and, uh, each month and how much outgo you have? Um, well, no, don't, don't, don't really know that. And you may think I'm exaggerating, I'm not. The number one problem that most people have is they don't even have a plan for what they're going to do. And I'm telling you, you have to have a plan. And Solomon says that too. Listen to what he says. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 5, this is one, uh, one version of the Bible in Proverbs 21 5 says, the plans, that's what we're talking about, the plans of the diligent surely lead to plenty.
but those of everyone who is lazy, surely to poverty. You have plans, you're going to do well. If you don't have a plan, you won't do well. That's what Solomon is saying. So when we're talking about a plan, what we're saying is you have to know where you're going. Now, what's typically the word that's used? You talked about a financial plan. What do you, what's the word that typically comes to mind? Budget. Budget sounds bad. It sounds constrictive. It sounds negative. I understand that. Um, it's, it's your friend, I promise, but, it, but I understand the connotations. I actually prefer the, the term spending plan. You're, you're going to spend the funds. I mean, that's part of the reason you have them. But you have to have a spending plan. A spending plan is this. It is you telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. There's a big difference between telling it where to go and wondering where it went. You have to have a plan. Now, as you think about this plan, maybe you don't have one at all. Uh, and that's, like I said, pretty common. When you don't have a plan, you don't even know how to get started, right? That's another question. Well, I've never had one. How do I get started? Let me suggest a few practical things about how to get started in having a financial plan. Number one, you need to involve God. If these are his resources, and ultimately I want to do everything to please him, then I need to first involve God in my planning process. I need to think about what he would want. I need to pray for wisdom. Uh, he needs to be involved in this. These are his resources. There is a, a verse in Proverbs 3.9. Proverbs 3.9. If you don't want to have your spiritual world rocked, don't read it. I mean, you're still required to do what it says to do, but I'm telling you, it's a game changer. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord. Okay, we're good with that, right? Honor the Lord with your possessions. Oh. Oh. Hmm. What are my possessions? I have a house. How do I honor God with that? I have a car. How do I honor God with that? I have an income. How do I honor God with that? See, it's a game changer. And when we begin to think like spiritually minded managers it changes things so if you're going to have a plan even if you already have a plan but you haven't involved god in it i'm telling you he's got to be first he has to be first involve god number two you need to keep good records if you're going to have a plan there has to be some records there has to be some uh, some accounting to be done in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 23, he says, Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. Now understand, he was writing to a, a culture that was largely agricultural, agriculturally based. And so when he says, Know the state of your flocks and your herds, you know what he's saying? You need to be on the ball about your assets. You need to know what's going on with what you have. You know, you and I probably are not in the same situation. I, I don't have any cows, uh, and uh, I wouldn't mind having one, but I don't have any. But we do have other assets, don't we? And for that, we have to keep good records. Two things about records. Number one, if you don't have a spending plan, you're like, I, I don't even know what to, 
um, allocate for groceries. I don't know what to allocate for power. I, I don't, if you've never had one, you don't know. What you do is you go back to your, get those last 12 power bills. You had to pay them whether you planned for it or not. Average that out. Now you know what, how, what to allocate in your plan. Go back as far as you can with grocery receipts. Maybe you haven't been keeping them or keeping up with them, but now you, you've got a record to help you know how to plan for the future going forward. And so you have to have good records to get the plan. But then secondly, once you have a plan, if you don't actually keep records, your plan is useless. All right, I'm going to allocate this number of dollars every month for this. Sounds good. It all works out. We're good to go. But what did you actually spend? Okay, I allocated this, but how much did you actually spend? And without good records, you don't know. And so you have to not only have a plan, but you have to have, you have, to have records to make the plan, and then you have to have records to know that you are staying in, in track with the plan as well. So keep good records. That way you can know where your money went and not wonder where it went. All right, and then now, here's where we're going to plan our spending. Uh, the, 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 the good thing is you get to choose if you make a plan. See, if you don't have a plan, you're not really the one choosing where your funds go. It's everybody else. Because once you have a plan, now you know you're on track. And you have a goal, and you have a vision, and you know where you need to be. And if you don't have a plan, it's kind of just everything kind of happens on the fly. And instead of telling your money where to go, you just wonder where it went. Anybody ever had that? Well, you don't have to answer. You, if you have, you know the feeling. We all have. We all have. I, I've, I've been, uh, did a podcast, on, was interviewed on a podcast with these, these, um, some of these financial matters, and the, and, the, and the interviewer asked me, how did you become involved in, I mean, interested in this? And I said, you, I wasn't expecting the question. The questions weren't scripted. And I thought, you know, that's a good question. I think it happened when I was a teenager. I had a job and I was making money. And for me, it was like a lot of money. And it was funny, your perspective changes. I think now what it was, I wouldn't think it was a lot of money, but to me, it was a lot of money. And when you get what you feel like is a lot of money, what do you tend to do with it? So I get all this money in, I'm, I feel like I'm rolling in it, and then, you know, a few days later, it's gone, and I don't even know what happened. And it doesn't have to be that way. And so, but one of the keys is you have to plan for it. There, there are two big things. So your, your, your spending plan is your best friend. Because often you are your own worst enemy. When it comes to money, we are often our own worst enemy. And a plan keeps you from being your own worst enemy. There are two things that a plan will keep you from doing. Problems that will come about. Number one is impulse purchases. Impulse purchases, unless you have a, a budget line for impulse purchases, and that's fine. If that's what you, you, know, you decide, hey, we're going to allocate X number of dollars for whatever, that's fine. But unless it's in the plan, anything else is an impulse purchase that, that goes outside of the plan. 
You ever had the impulse purchase thing where you go into a store and, and you there's this thing that you see that actually you didn't even know existed, but suddenly now you have to have it? You ever had that? And then we stand there and we just try to justify and rationalize why we need this. And, and you know, I need to myself a little bit you know and whatever it is we talk ourselves it's so easy to believe what you want to believe even if you were the one lying to yourself isn't that right the plan has already spoken the plan says no that's not going to happen today not going to happen the second thing that a plan will keep you from doing is running into a lot of problems with credit cards and this is a huge problem in our culture because it is so easy to get a credit card how many of you have a credit card on you right now I do some of you don't or are you just dishonest because we can offer the invitation right now <laughs> there's anything inherently wrong with them but boy they are dangerous they are dangerous let me share with you some statistics about credit card debt in the US um, the average consumer they say has $4,200 in credit debt. Uh, I've known some that had far more. Uh, it reaches a point where they almost feel helpless, like I'll never be able to get out of this. By the way, the next session, we're talking about digging out of debt. Uh, but understand, there's more. usually there's more than one consumer in the household, which means that the average household uh, has a debt of $14,000 in credit cards. I don't know if that's true or not. That's uh, from one of the sources that I've, I've seen. I hope that's not true with you, but it might be. Because what happens is I don't have a plan, so I'm kind of always behind. My easy bailout is the credit card. And you know what? They only require you to make a small payment every month. Isn't that so nice of them? Like, I owe them $5,000, but they say I only have to give them 50 today. And it sounds nice, and it's so tempting to take that, but you don't understand what you're doing. Let me just imagine with you, just imagine with me this scenario. You owe $8,000 on your credit cards. Now, their, their rate is horrendous. That's how they make a lot of money. They make money at the point of purchase because they charge the merchant. Okay, So they're making money as soon as you use it. That's why they, they're, they're happy with you if you never carry it over and you pay it off every month because they've already made money. But if they can also make money on the interest, that's even better for them. Let's just say you owe $8,000 and it's running at 18%, which is an average credit card rate, and you're paying them $200 a month to, pay, to buy that off. Okay? Anybody want to guess how long it's going to take to pay that off? $200 a month, that's not insignificant. 10 years. Who else want to guess at how long it's going to take that? Remember, this is compounding. Like, are you a math major or something? One of these geniuses? It'll take you 30 years to pay it off. You think about that. Now, what else, when we typically think about paying something off in 30 years, what else is it? A mortgage. You can pay a house off in the same amount of time it'll take you to pay off just $8,000 in credit card debt at $200 a month. Now here's the real kicker. 
In that time period, you will have paid $11,615.32 in interest, which is more than the original principal, right? And by the way, 30 years later, what was it you bought? What was that $8,000 for? No idea. It's not even around, but you're still on the hook. See, that's what happens when you get into credit card issues. And, and you want to stay out of that. And one of the things that a plan is going to do is keep you from being your own worst enemy. We've met the enemy, <laughs> and he's us, uh, when it comes to our finances. We're the one in charge, and so we need to make sure that we have a plan. So, um, so you now that $8,000 turns into over you know, almost $20,000. And again, the credit card companies are okay with that, and they're happy to let you keep doing that. And they don't mind at all. I remember, uh, it, see, part of the problem in our cultures is it's now so easy to get one. I remember when I was in college, I was getting ready to graduate, and I thought, I probably should go ahead and apply for a credit card. And I did. And I remember being nervous that I would be denied. Like I might not actually be given one. Well, everybody gets one now, right? I mean, get an application. I mean, just we want you to have one. And, uh, and so the ease of credit is a really big problem in our culture. And, um, and so be on guard against that. A plan will help you not be your own worst enemy. All right, the third principle that Solomon says will help us be on track with our finances is to commit the first portion to God. To commit the first portion to Him. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9, again, we have this principle, honor the Lord with your possessions. And, um, and you know, this has always been a, a principle. We'll talk more tomorrow about giving and tithing and things that the Bible has to say about this. But first, I want to introduce it today by saying that this is actually a part of handling money like God wants us to, doing things His way. And, um, and whether a person is struggling or they're affluent, whether they live in a first world culture or a third world culture, it doesn't matter. To show our priorities and our trust in God, we give a, the first portion to Him. And we honor Him with our possessions. So you could, if you have a plan but it doesn't involve God, you're not going to be successful in His eyes. And ultimately that has to be what we most want to do. And, uh, and the reality is, it's impossible to outgive God. It's impossible. Because there, what happens is sometimes we think, well, I, I'm afraid that if I do that, if I give to Him, especially if I give the first portion, then I'm going to be without. And the truth is, in fear, we say, God, bless me, and I'll give to you. And God says, no, you give to me, and then I'll bless you. There's a big difference between the two. We're saying, God, you make the first move. And God's saying, no, I've already made the first move, and I've already blessed you with what you have. Your move. Solomon said, you need to honor the Lord with your possessions. And again, I would take, this has to be taken beyond the actual cash that we have. We have possessions. We have uh, windfalls we have other ways in which we have been blessed how can i honor god with those things 
Proverbs 3 and verse 9 is a game changer. All right, one more thing to talk about. I'm not going to talk more about that because that will get into what we're going to talk about tomorrow. One more principle found in this, from this writer, Solomon, about how to, to do well with our finances, and that is to be content. Content yourself with your current situation. We'll talk more about contentment uh, this morning as well, but ultimately discontentment is the driver of many bad financial decisions. Discontentment is ultimately the driver of many bad financial decisions. And while it's not in the book of Proverbs, it still is from Solomon, who was inspired by God in Ecclesiastes 6 and verse 9. Ecclesiastes 6, 9. It says, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. What you see, what you have, your current situation is better than always wishing it was something else. And always wishing it was something more. Uh, we, we might translate that verse this way today. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. You know, there are those who have plenty and have been blessed, but they're so unhappy, so discontented. They feel so mistreated by the fact that others are seemingly doing so much better than they are. But the truth is, we've all been blessed. And we need to be content do i have plans do i have goals that are bigger and larger sure that's fine but what about right now can i also can i be content now and have plans and goals absolutely but we we tend to to always um think that something else one more thing the next thing down the road is what's going to make me happy you know the the person who is single says, you know, I'll be happy when I'm married. Ignorance is bliss, right? No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Um, and then they get married, and then they, you know, well, well, we'll be happy when we have children. We need to have children. That'll kind of make us happy. So they have children. And then, you know, well, we'll we have children now, and we, we will be happy when, when the children leave. <laughs> That's where I am right now. And... Um, and then the children leave, and then, well, we'll be happy when they have grandchildren. We have grandchildren, and they have grandchildren. Now we're, and then we'll, we'll, be, we'll be happy when the grandchildren come visit us. And three days later, we will be happy when those grandchildren finally leave again. And, you know, it's always one thing after another if you're not content. And if you're not content, you will make bad financial decisions because there's always something out there that you could spend your money on that promises something better happier more enjoyable more satisfying in your life and the truth is it probably won't discontentment is a driver of many bad financial decisions all right so those are four biblical principles that solomon shares with us in this book and um, i hope those are helpful to you <laughs>
enjoy what you have? Oh, 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 yeah. Yeah, I was just kind of retranslating, just kind of interpreting it for us. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. And it, it is actually possible to be content now, but also have some goals and plans for the future. In fact, I think that was right. That would be a good thing. But we can also be so focused on what we don't have that we don't enjoy and appreciate what we do have. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You're right. And, and you know, and, and my wife, my wife, by the way, by the way, opposites attract, right? And almost in every couple, there's a spender and a saver. There's a planner. There's a whew, whatever happens, happens person is good. You need each other um, because either extreme is not really, I don't think, where God wants you to be. First Timothy 6, he says, I want you to enjoy the things you have. So you don't have to be Mr. Tightwad, can't spend a penny, pinch it so hard, the poor dead president cries. <laughs> and so your spouse keeps you balanced off of that. And then if you're one of these, ah, I'm just going to, whatever happens, happens. Um, your spouse, if you're married and they're the opposite, they're going to keep you balanced. Now what happens, it's a really bad situation when both husband and wife are that of that nature neither one of them kind of have a plan both of them kind of want to just whatever then there's no no keeping each other on track you can get there though um but if you say so so back to what i was saying my wife hates it when i say this she uh, by the way she works at kohl's which so she knows when the sales are on and she like finds the clearance stuff and she will say i saved twenty dollars because you, you know it used to be 30 and she bought it for 10 she didn't save 20 right if you save 20 where's the 20 if you saved it you still have it you didn't save it you spent 20 less than you would have but you spent 10 more than you needed to all right so you're right even if and that's a good thing because we talk ourselves into oh wow look it's 75 percent off well, that's still 25% more than nothing, right? So even a good deal is still an impulse purchase if it's not part of your plan. Now, you've got a clothing allowance, and this sweater is on sale, and you could use a new sweater. That's, that's, that's part of the plan, okay? 